3: in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com.
2: Welcome back to the Past Guest Podcast. From Donut Media, I'm your host, James Pumphrey. And I am Nolan Sykes. Uh, today, we have... Oh, I'm excited about but this. Yeah, one. this is a good one. This this is like one of the coolest car things ever. Yeah.
4: We have a very It's so secretive. Topic for you, guys, today. We are talking about a racing group <laughs> known as the Midnight Club. The Midnight Club. Yes. The fastest racing team, fastest street racing team in Japan. They got a comic book yeah. made after them. Yeah. Thanks to an in-depth investigation by our wonderful writer, Joseph. Thank you, Joseph. Uh, We're able to bring you the truth about the Midnight Club. Uh, It's worth pointing out that most of the articles you find on the Midnight Club are based on the Wikipedia article. (laughs) That's it. That's journalism, man. Yeah. Unfortunately for the vast majority of them, the information on the Wikipedia page has been purposely crafted to mislead people to protect the real members' identities. Oh, my
2: God. They're the Illuminati.
4: It's insane. That means a large amount of what people think they know about the club is actually wrong, deliberately so. But fret not, because uh, we're we're super excited to share the real story behind the Midnight Club. This will be a two-part series, okay? So uh, stick around next week for part two. Very special surprise in there.
2: We may have been asked to deliver a message yeah. from the Midnight Club. best podcast. It's about cars, it's not
4: about ports! Hey guys, welcome to the Past Gas Podcast. If you like Past Gas, please help us grow by giving us a good rating and a nice review on the podcast platform of your choice. It'll really help us out, and I really appreciate that. So, thank you. All right, now for the show. All right, so to know the story of the Midnight Club, you have to know 1980s Japan. Throughout the 1980s, Japan was experiencing one of the most significant financial bubbles of all time. Uh, The entire bubble was similar to the one that we had in the U.S. in 2008 and the one that is currently taking place in China. The post-World War II economy of Japan had encouraged citizens to save their money, causing an unbelievable surplus of savings. Uh, The banks had no problem meeting their reserve requirements thanks to the massive cash surplus, which in turn allowed the banks to engage in much more lenient lending behavior. Does this sound familiar? Yeah. Okay, good. There were also many... It's, government- it's like America. Yeah. <laughs> it's like how it was 10 years ago.
2: No, but that's a crash. What, well, yeah. what we're saying here is just like after World War II, there was this culture in Japan where the government was like, just save your money, save your money, save your money. And the reason that these cars happened is because the companies looked around and they were like, oh, everyone's got a bunch of money. Yeah, <laughs> We could we could make something really cool stuff and they could buy it. Yeah. And so they just started making twin-turbo six-cylinder behemoths. Yeah, we will get there. Uh, there are also many government programs that intended to weaken
4: the U.S. dollar against the Japanese yen through means of financial deregulation. Uh, the combination of excess liquidity in the banks and financial deregulation led to a massive economic boom known as Japan's economic miracle prices on domestic stocks and real estate had risen to an all-time high tripling in value tripling tripling in value between 1985 and 1989 wealthy parents could afford to buy their children the nicest sports cars japan had to offer sports cars were absolutely everywhere in 1980s japan the best of all they were dirt cheap a new nissan Silvia s13q only cost roughly seventy five hundred U S dollars, which is about eighteen thousand dollars today. Can you imagine getting a Sylvia that much? <laughs> yeah, you can't
2: like you can't get a Sylvia for eighteen grand. I mean, you can, you could, but like a clean one. Yeah. That's what they're they sell for now.
4: Yeah, they haven't depreciated at all. Uh, in the big picture, it was the Japanese bubble that led to the birth of all the street racing in the country. I am hooked. Kids loved the idea of driving a fast car on the cheap in the early 80s. Some of the more popular choices, of course, were the Celica Supras. They weren't the Mark IV Supras yet. They are the Celica Supras. Uh, AE86s, S30s, S130s, RX-7s, Nissan Skylines, the Sylvia again. Uh, and yeah, since they all had easy money from their parents, all they would do is dart onto the highway in Tomei or Wangan and start zipping around looking for trouble. The Tomei Highway became notorious for heavy-duty street racing. Uh, The racing was known as... Okay. This is uh, Japan. Probably going to butcher some of these words. So just...
2: Shutoku. Shutoku. Charcuterie.
4: (laughs) Racing was known as shokudo or roulette zoku, but primarily called shokutan. And it was incredibly dangerous, obviously. Uh, Amateur racers were known uh, for getting in major accidents, for causing major accidents... Pretty much daily. And as the decade progressed, the highways became crowded with uh, just groups of amateur racers. At night, the highways were literally flooded with them. It's pretty dangerous, but also also sounds uh, kind of cool.
2: That sounds f- super cool. It'd be fun. 1,000%. Yeah. Nothing is cooler than rolling squad style. It
4: doesn't happen very often to me because um, I'm in my Mustang. And when I see another Mustang, it's usually beat up mm-hmm. but somewhere. like
2: we just built those two yeah. 350z's I was gonna talk about that yeah. yeah and like rolling next to you in a matching car is one of the coolest experiences sick. on life. that
4: show if you haven't seen watch Hilo yet um one night we had just upgraded the brakes and we were testing them and we were rolling down the main street and i saw another nissan mm-hmm. i think it was an s13 um rolling along it was orange and i was like i saw him up ahead maybe like quarter mile ahead and i was rolling with aaron parker uh our friend and my mechanic and he's like, yo, dude, go go get him. So we like sped up to him. And I was just cruising next to him. And I was like, oh man, this guy likes what I like.
2: This yeah. Is cool. Totally. I was going to uh we shot an episode of Bumper to Bumper yesterday and I drove the Z. And uh right when I got off the freeway, uh G thirty five like pulled up next to me and it was like this like Asian girl. And like she like revved and then like I pulled and she it was like and she was like <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> hell yeah! <laughs> like dude. so stoked. That's
4: so cool. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's just so much. It's so much fun. So this sounds fun but dangerous. It is mm-hmm. street racing. Street yeah, racing. don't street
2: race. He's bad. <laughs> <laughs> Many of the racers would try and form teams. The teams created at this time were filled with inexperienced drivers trying to make a name for themselves, hoping to win cash, attention, cars, gals, yeah, or boys, yeah, respect, yeah, family.
4: That is a crazy idea that's like yeah dude i'm just gonna go out and like what if you went right now you're like i'm gonna hop in the 405 try to get me some sponsors
0: <laughs>
4: <laughs> we'll get back to more past gas but right now a word from our sponsors As the decade went on, there was a huge boom in unrestricted power. Kind of like what we're seeing right now with, like, Dodge Demon, and, like, Mm -hmm. now supercars are making, like, over 900, close to 1,000 horsepower. Like, ironically, because of, like, um, efficiency standards, like, turbos are really helping. Turbos and superchargers are really helping cars make tons of power. Mm -hmm. It's awesome. Yeah. Kind of the same thing was going on in Japan. The boom reached its peak in February of 1989, when the naturally aspirated version of the Nissan 300ZX was unveiled at the Chicago Auto Show. During the reveal, the president of Nissan at the time boasted that it was the only base trim level sitting on the auto show floor, and it only had a little teensy 222 horsepower. Not bad for the late 80s. The top range model, the twin turbo Z32, was expected to pull anywhere from 300 to 320 horsepower, which was unheard of at the time. Um, Little note for the, the kids out there. During the 1980s, cars were generally pretty slow. To get your hands on the quote-unquote good ones, you had to spend a pretty penny or two, okay, to get yourself in the seat of a high-end sports car, such as a Ferrari. But Nissan was about to change all that. In 1989, 320 horsepower in a 300ZX of that size would be equivalent to, like, the... 370Z of today having the same power as the Ferrari 488, i.e. nutso. Yeah. At the time, Ferrari had just introduced the 348, and it made roughly 300 horsepower and weighed almost the same as the 300ZX. The Ferrari was selling for over $120,000 new, the equivalent of about $230,000 today, Uh, and that's where (laughs) Nissan truly had Ferrari beat. Nissan expected to mass produce the 320 horsepower 300ZX and sell them for a little over $30,000, equivalent to about 60 grand today. That's like the C8 vet. Right? Yeah. That's exactly. Yeah, that's exactly it. Like giving the people that supercar performance.
2: Right. It's like sort of like these companies are like, "Yeah, we can't do it for that cheap." Yeah. And then someone shows up and they're like, "Yeah, you can." Yeah, you can. And all <laughs> the consumers are like, "What?" <laughs>
4: Uh, everybody do it then. I think in the case of like, the, I mean, f- in the case of Ferrari, as we know from our previous episodes, now still available on whatever platform you're listening to, um, the Ferrari name is what you pay for. Right. Really, like the performance is there. Obviously, you could you could get that same performance elsewhere, but mm-hmm. like there's just something about there's that that it's heritage. a Ferrari. It's a Ferrari. Yeah. Yeah. So when the Japanese press caught wind of what Nissan had announced at Chicago Auto Show, the Japanese government started cracking down on automakers almost immediately, okay? As soon as word reached Japan, a meeting of the minds... And all the presidents of the company met together to have a serious discussion of the impact of such a car on Japanese streets and the country as a whole. The government was afraid of what a powerful car like that could do on the streets. By the way, 320 horsepower.
2: Yeah. yeah <laughs> like like now Camrys having, make that right, much. Yeah. Yeah, they're having a summit. That's so funny. It came out freaking Focus RS. <laughs>
4: <laughs> Japan was filled with a lot of narrow and windy roads that careened through densely populated Tuge. areas. Yes. But most importantly, there's already that abundance of street racing. Uh, The last thing they needed were cars that could match the Ferrari in terms of power on their streets. That was pretty scary. Like, it was already, like, a health hazard, public health hazard. Now Mm -hmm. it's like, this Nissan is a health crisis. So the Japanese government decided that all companies would be prohibited from producing cars that exceeded 276 horsepower.
2: That's Uh, a common sense car law.
4: Whoa. The limitation was designated to last only 15 years. During those 15 years, no cars were allowed to eclipse that horsepower mark in the home market within Japan. Important distinction, within the home market Mm -hmm. of Japan. Each car manufacturer signed a gentleman's agreement that would enforce these restrictions in Japan. The goal of the agreement was to limit accessibility of supercar power to kids whose rich parents would routinely purchase them the latest and greatest affordable sports car. They had already seen what these kids could do with 250 horsepower and were terrified of the consequences of giving them even more. These kids weren't afraid of taking their cars out onto the highway at night and pushing them to the limits, all while throwing caution to the wind. While the world may have viewed the 300ZX as a massive technological step towards high performance for the masses, the Japanese government was more concerned about safety. Uh, the twin-turbo Z32 was the straw that broke the camel's back and made automakers realize that things they were getting out of hand. But there was a way to get around the agreement. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> lots of companies... Lying. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Lots of companies, Nissan included, installed restrictor plates in the engines to limit the power output. So while the car may have been sold to you with only 700 276 horsepower, you could remove this plate or reroute a few cables and tubes, and all of a sudden you were pushing over 330 horsepower. Of course, there were labels from the manufacturer saying don't do this when it came to making those changes, but telling someone not to do something usually makes them want to do it more.
2: A good example of this is one of our favorite cars, and if you're listening to this podcast, it's probably one of your favorite cars too the R32 Skyline GTR, aka Godzilla. <laughs> Yeah, you know that Godzilla word? Yeah. (laughs) The R32 was redesigned in order to push the limits of each restriction set in place by Group A Racing, including a 2.6 liter twin turbo engine, all-wheel drive, and all-wheel steering. This beast of a car was well into development by the time the company self-imposed restrictions on power, and it obviously was capable of of more than 276 horsepower. So Nissan decided to install a restrictor plate to limit power. Once removed, the R32 GTR suddenly found itself with another 60 to 70 horsepower at the wheels. Woo. The most interesting part of the gentleman's agreement was how it actually made independent companies want to push the rules even further. People wanted to buy sports cars even more now that they were restricted. People and companies alike would tune their cars to make as much power as possible just for the heck of it. This was still all taking place at the height of the Japanese bubble economy. People had more money than they knew what to do with, so they began funneling it into their cars to increase their performance as much as humanly possible. While the agreement certainly saved countless lives by preventing reckless amateur street racers from having access to overpowered race cars, It also massively stimulated the further growth of one of the coolest movements in automotive history, the tuning movement. The tuning movement Mm. was nothing new by 1989, the year that Taylor Swift was born. In fact, it had been around since the 1970s, but it was this agreement that sparked a massive rise in popularity for the movement. And here's the thing about kids. Despite all the money their parents may have, The kids are usually broke, so while their parents may provide a modest sports car for them, they're not going to give them money to make it faster, and they certainly aren't going to provide them with a Ferrari. But amateur racers still craved max speed. They wanted speed, and they wanted it cheap.
4: Look, Mom, I want speed, and I want it cheap. (laughs) Are you tired of paying top dollar for speed?
2: Yeah, (laughs)
4: <laughs> this put automotive tuning shops in a bit of a pickle. Uh, the shops had to develop components that were inexpensive, but reliable enough to be thrown on all these brand-new sports cars that were basically being treated as disposable assets. Parts had to be reusable and transferable from one wreck car to the next. Um, while shops were capable of designing these parts, the problem came, James when they had to test them. This is where JAMA comes in. J-A-M-A stands for the Japanese Automotive Manufacturing Association. They realized that the street racing boom may have hidden potential. Tuner shops were modifying the cars for efficiency and power with much fewer restrictions than on uh, Nissan or Toyota. They didn't have the same government oversight. Obviously, the tuners were doing some Amazing things, and JAMA was ready to make some money off of it. JAMA. JAMA. Roll Tad. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> the Japanese government began to support the modification of performance cars by way of financial incentives. This is getting a little weird. In their eyes, any insane modifications that could be used day-to-day that improved performance would attract foreign car buyers, a.k.a. Us. Americans. Yeah. Yeah. Basically, any development that could be vaguely used in a consumer car to help compete against the American and European car market was incentivized by the Japanese government, causing even further growth within the tuning movement itself.
2: Yeah, so they made this law that said you can't make your cars fast, Yeah, and then they paid people to develop ways to make cars fast. (laughs) JAMA,
4: most importantly, provided high-end tuning shops access to... The Yatabe, a high-speed oval testing circuit that was used to develop these high-speed parts. The Yatabe offered shops a safe and stable test environment, but nothing could really simulate the real-life conditions these components were going to see. After all, uh, Shakatan Sh- Sh- racers were pushing their cars to limit on the Wangan and Tomei highways. The Yatabe circuit was super smooth by comparison. It was a bank track. With no other, with no traffic, many small shops and engineering firms were capable of testing their products to their limits safely on the Yatabe, but that wasn't enough. By the time the Gentleman's agreement was formed, Yatabe was already an em- epicenter of the tuning development world, and would only gained further notoriety within the confines of Japan as the tuning movement
2: really kicked off. Not long after testing by tuner shops was permitted at Yatabe in the late 70s, tuning shops began to test their products on the street. After all, only road testing could truly simulate the harsh vibrations and other variables of practical use. Separate shops began to group up as they would participate in testing together. One of the most notable groups born from this was the Midnight Club, <gasps> which was formally created in 1983. But of course, they were different than the other groups.
4: Yes. Just to preface, okay? The name Midnight Club is not entirely accurate, okay? The name was most likely a mistranslation during a feature in an episode of Jeremy Clarkson's Motor World, the show that exposed the West to Midnight Club. Well, the Midnight Club is most commonly used by that name, uh, and there's even a video game with that name, one of my favorite games ever. I love Midnight Club 3. Uh, It's not the true name of the group. The true name. Of the Midnight Club is actually Racing Team Midnight. Or Midnight, for sure. Not I mean, a club. It's not a club. It's a team, dude. It's, it's a, a team. racing team. Yeah. Not some,
2: we're not some club. We're not we don't have club. a treehouse. We're not playing golf, you dorks. Yeah. We're driving 203 miles an hour on the freaking highway together. <laughs> All right? We're a team club. You know what? No. Get out of my face. We're not throwing a frickin' charity dinner. (laughs) All right? We're not going frickin' pep rallying. We're not a glee club. We're not cheering on the team. We are the team. Wow. You dumb dork. (laughs) You wimp. You know who joins clubs? Wimps. You know who builds teams? Quarterbacks.
4: Drivers. race. Racing Team Midnight
2: began as a vessel for large... (laughs) Why didn't you say "ooh"? Did did the word vessel make you horny? (laughs) Gross. We'll be right back with more of this story. But first, a word from our sponsors.
3: Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. I absolutely love this because you know if you own a home, That's A-N-G-I dot com.
1: You can host the best backyard barbecue. When you find a professional on Angie to make your backyard the best around. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Inside to outside. Repairs to renovations. Get started on the Angie app or visit Angie.com today.
0: Armorall. Less work, more clean. Terms apply. Uh,
2: Midnight members were not just amateurs looking for a quick buck or good race. Mm-mm. They were professionals That's right. seeking to test their products, usually in the middle of the night. Hence the name. <laughs> Hence the name. When there was the least amount of traffic and police presence on the highways. Unlike many other groups, the members of Midnight adhered to a strict set of rules when racing on the street. This code is probably what Midnight is most famous for, but there were even stricter rules and requirements to even get close to the team. To be considered for a role within Midnight, you had to be affiliated with the companies involved within Midnight somehow, whether it was in sales, marketing, design, engineering, or production of parts. You had to show that you were working to better Japan's automotive industry and ultimately the country as a whole.
4: That's insane. So it's That's not even sick. like... That's it's not, sick. It's not even like a thing like, yo, man, you want to go fast? Yeah. You rich and want to go fast? Yeah. It's like, are
2: you making Japan better?
4: Yeah. Um,
2: are you? Uh, are, are you? No. Yes. <laughs> no, you're not allowed. Oh, damn it. Midnight doesn't even exist. Uh, what? It's not real. Oh, no. I'm not even a person. <gasps> I'm a <laughs> coat. <laughs> Furthermore, you had to have the skills
4: that could work to the benefit of everyone involved. All the work that was done on the team cars was done in-house, and you had to, be a, you had to prove to be a worthwhile addition, okay? No, no clowns allowed, whether that was ECU reprogramming or simply welding. Welding mm-hmm. is
2: hard. I if you have. knew how to weld, you wouldn't work here because you would make so much more money. That's true. <laughs> like if anyone, like the editors are different, but you and me, we don't know how to do anything. We I literally know. have no skills.
4: I'm trying to take pictures better. <laughs> <laughs> cool. <laughs> uh, that's, that's, not <laughs> that's a, okay, that's just a little tip for anyone listening or watching. Um, learn how to do something. Learn how, learn a useful skill like something like that. If college, if you don't think you want to go to college, that's fine. Go to a trade school. Learn how to do, like, uh, when I was at Cuesta Community College, I took one welding class. Uh, I've forgotten everything from it, but like they had a whole program and you could become a six certified welder. Dudes make like fucking a hundred dollars an hour welding on big pipes. That's insane. Know? It's crazy.
2: That's crazy. It's awesome. I it's spent cool. fifteen years yelling at people and then finally got paid for it. <laughs> um yeah, and
4: Questa didn't even have a course for yelling, yelling at, 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 people, at people. So yeah. like We should start one. Yeah. <laughs> Team Midnight members were instructed to be as diplomatic and responsible as possible. While, of course, the members would sometimes have fun and race strangers from time to time, the majority of the time, they refrained from racing other non-team members. The racing on the road was never referred to as racing, but as testing instead. That's so cool! That's so cool. (laughs) It's so cool. It's so cool. We're going to go test tonight. Oh, sick. I get to drive my car 200 miles an hour? Yeah, hell yeah. That's so no, sick. It's not fun. It's dude. not fun. We're this, testing. This is work. We are yeah. scientists, man. That's insane. It's so, like, we were saying, like, we, we haven't really said who was in the group because, like, one, I don't know. Mm-mm. Um, I've heard rumors. Yeah, lots of rumors. These are big execs in big companies. I'm not going to name, name any of these companies. Big execs. Like, big execs. Oh, yeah. I do know one that we heard yeah. from What I met him at SEMA. <laughs> That's insane. Yeah. yeah. And you're just, like, looking at him like, all right.
2: Yeah, yeah. It's like, oh, he's a big exec. He's not a big man. No, he's a little man. <laughs> yeah, but, but that's just the kind of. that's has got, got that BDE. So cool. That's
4: why this is so, like, it, it sounds silly that they're not calling it racing and they're calling it testing and mm-hmm. everyone, there's all these rules. But like when you think about it, they're coming from like a corporate office environment.
2: A corporate of office course. environment, and they have like a lot of say in, yeah, the things that they are testing. Testing came
4: with its own set of guidelines that all members were required to follow no matter what. Drivers were forced to stay a minimum of one lane away from other traffic and would have to have their hazards on as if they were in the slow lane. Uh, so they're like, hey, we're going fast. Hey. Here are my hazards. Yeah. Look out. Um, they were also required to have super bright aftermarket headlights or even a bright paint job so the civilians could see them coming. Dude, this is so sick. I'm kidding up. <laughs>
2: I'm such a crush. Yeah.
4: One member even started developing body kits for Porsche's that added a second layer of high beams beneath the original ones, causing many of the cars used by the club to share very similar bumpers with the Porsche 935, so they could all run more high beams.
2: Yeah. It's like so cool to be an outlaw and make yourself brighter. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Like um we got to do this really illegal stuff, but we don't want anyone to get hurt. Yeah. <laughs> so you better paint your car bright pink and you better put lights all over yeah, it. It's, it's like oh it's yeah. so sick. It, it's like so cocky in such a fun it's way. It's so cool, man. Most importantly, they were to never
4: conduct tests in moderate to heavy traffic. Uh, Most other teams tended to drive recklessly or pursued max speed regardless of danger involved. Meanwhile, Midnight prided themselves on their concern for the safety of those
2: around them. Because they're trying to make Japan better, and Japan isn't better if the streets are dangerous. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, the people that they're trying to protect, the public people, the reason they're putting these lights on, those are the people that they're testing these cars for. Yeah, for the betterment of. For the betterment of. Yeah. Yeah. That's so crazy. Since they were testing new and unheard of
4: products, everything under the hood of the car was to remain confidential outside the team. One thing members never wanted to risk was a police presence. In fact, some members would have a hidden mechanism that flipped their license plate to hide their plates from cameras. Yes. James Bond, dude. James freaking Bond. A few would go so far as to wear helmets during races to avoid being identified. Have you ever
2: driven around
4: with a helmet on? Yeah. It's so so fun. It's really fun. It's cool. Yeah,
2: driving around on the street with a helmet is the most fun. It feels illegal for some reason, Uh even though you're safer. Yeah. It's weird. Well, yeah, the the stares you get are pretty cool.
4: (laughs) It's so cool. Throughout our research, we noticed one of the most commonly repeated facts was the way that Team Midnight meets were organized. On the Wikipedia page, it is stated that meeting locations and times would be listed in the classified oh, yeah. section of a local Tokyo newspaper and it would read something like this. <clears throat> right, go ahead.
2: For sale. Small handbags at discount prices. For more information, I am available to meet at Daikoku Parking Area on Thursday between 11 p.m. and 2 a.m. Thank you.
4: It feels like a spy story, hearing the locations of secret meetups written in code that only a select few would truly understand. So A select few, like handbag enthusiasts. <laughs> yeah, uh, I'd like to imagine
2: the guy who's like, hey, what are all these cars doing here? I got my anniversary coming up and I want to get my wife a nice purse at a reasonable price.
4: At 11 p.m.? <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, I thought the timing was a little weird, but I thought the savings might make up for it. All right. That's I'm going to be know. in hot soup <laughs> if I oh, show up hot my anniversary without any present.
4: <laughs> but uh, uh, sadly, this whole story about the classified ads... It wasn't was, real? It's not real. Uh, it was meant to mislead people who were digging for the identities of the Team Midnight members. In reality... Each member always knew where the next meet would be because they called each
2: other. Oh, man. <laughs>
4: um, meets were usually held in random parking garages uh, not far from any entrance to the Tomei Highway.
2: Yeah, it's like you think about that story, then like, you hear it, and you're like, oh, yeah, that's so cool. That That's exactly how they would do it. Yeah. And then you're like, oh, yeah, phone. <laughs> yeah, it's 1980. <laughs> it's the 1991, phones have been around. yeah for 80 years
4: (laughs) Um,
2: oh yeah right that makes more sense
4: yeah (laughs) so all this anonymity kind of makes sense from a legal standpoint but to really understand it we need to take a look at how japan truly views street racers and how it differs in views from our modern society from our western society rather sorry uh, Japan is a very conformist, uh, conformist country with a very simple and clear black-and-white view of what is right or wrong. Right is right, and wrong is wrong. Huh. Uh, and they are incredibly strict about their rules. There are no excuses for nonconformity. If you are a nonconformist, you are more or less outcast by society. Everything there is done as a team because they're on an island, mm-hmm. and all of their cities are densely packed,
2: and they have, all their systems have to work together. And in historically innocent. forever... Japan was just, like, alone. Yeah. Like, on purpose. Yeah, with just
4: uh, different prefectures ruled by different, uh, not emperors, but, like, um, shoguns? Daddies. Daddies. Different daddies, different regions. They all had their own rules. Mm -hmm. Uh, There's a lot more history to it.
2: There's a lot of history. Actually, uh, there's a, was it, internet historian? Bill Wurst. Yeah, he's got a great. With this history of Japan thing, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So good. Now should knock. watch that on YouTube. It's the United States. Yeah, yeah. that kind of thing. It's so good.
4: <laughs> Despite this, like, really strict view of conformity in Japan, they also value individualism. Like, you can be an individual kind of weirdo as long as you follow all the rules. Okay? Does that make sense? Yeah, so that's okay. why you
2: have, like, people with six-foot pompadours and right. girls who dress up like bunny rabbits. Exactly.
4: Day. So, like... You can do that,
2: but as long as you don't
4: uh, block the subway door.
2: Yeah, don't block the subway door, but you can buy girls' underwear in a friggin' vending machine. Don't see anything wrong with that. <laughs> <laughs> you can eat dinner under a glass table where a girl is sitting Yeah, on her butt.
4: Regardless of how cool or individualistic someone might be, there is still that expectation that you will respect your fellow man and show courtesy honor,
2: and respect.
4: And in their culture, there is no room for street racing.
2: Yeah, because it's, like, yeah. dangerous. It's putting the other people in danger. Totally. Uh, I like that, man. I'm into that. Yeah. Like, do whatever you want. That's right. Just don't f*** up. Like, here in the script says,
4: America thrives on outlaw culture. <laughs> yeah.
2: It's just, like, we're, we have this, like, puritanical society in a way, but then all those dudes are, you know.
4: Yeah. Weird. So, it's, exactly. So, like, we live in a somewhat... Yeah, Puritanical culture, but we also love the outlaw. It's like it's—we
2: created a situation where we need an escape. Yes, and it's like just universally accepted in America that it's like, yeah, this is like really hard. It's hard to keep up with this, so every once in a while, I'm gonna go,
4: I'm gonna tune my truck and roll coal. Yeah, there we go, dude. (laughs) I, I win. I'm gonna get a Harley. Okay, so we love the bad guys. Uh, Bonnie and Clyde, they're viewed as heroes for Mm -hmm. sticking it to the man. NASCAR, uh, that was literally born from breaking the law and running from cops. We love the Fast and Furious, but in Japan, there's no cool stigma around the Hashira. Hashira literally means street racers. But when Japanese people hear Hashira, they immediately think of the bozuzoku Bozu Zoku. James Bing bing bing.
2: Bing bing
4: James really likes I, I love
2: Bozizokus.
4: Well, I'm about to ruin that for
2: you.
4: <laughs> okay, so they immediately think of the Bozizoku because, in their eyes, the Hashiria and the Bozizoku are one and the same. Uh, Bozizoku, if you don't know, and if James's little uh, bit there didn't clue you in, they're typically juvenile kids on crazy bikes or loud cars causing mayhem and pandemonium. Japanese consider Bozizoku a menace to society. Uh, To be quite honest, and this was kind of hard to learn for me because I really like the Bozizoku too, they are considered the first step into the Yakuza and are heavily associated with the Japanese alt-right and neo-Nazi movement. (laughs) Damn it. Uh, The people, James, the people are not the... (laughs) People hate the Bozizoku because they're... Freaking scary. They make a lot of noise, uh, redlining their bikes. They uh, hit baseball bats on the ground while yelling around. They disturb the peace. And um, they've been known to follow people home from work and women into alleyways to uh, commit crimes and sometimes murders. Turns out these guys suck. Yeah. So while the bozuzoku styling is really cool and unique and we really love it, um, the bozuzuka themselves are usually
2: just um, free- a bunch of a- yeah. Well, I was just thinking, I was like, well, what if you could do something that's like just all the cool parts, but none of the bad parts? And that's literally what Club mi- or what Team Midnight is. Yeah, that's yeah. literally like they were like, here's all the cool stuff, but we're not going to be. A- yeah. Okay, guys, there's some rules to be on this team. Yeah. Yes, we do drive fast as. F- Yes, we do have very cool cars. Yes, sometimes we wear helmets while we drive on roads. <laughs> yeah. Like that's kind of nerdy. It's <laughs> yeah. Um, you know what we don't do? We don't act like. <laughs> and if you act like it, you're out. An you're out. Yeah, man. I love the Midnight Team Midnight. Team min- Midnight. Turns is awesome. out I hate Bo Yeah. All right. Dude, I, mean, I I just I'm gonna go out on a limb here. Yeah. I f-ing hate Nazis. All right. And donut. I'm speaking for Donut. Yeah. We hate Nazis. Yeah. If you're a racist piece of sh- stop watching our stuff.
0: Just I'd say people, I'd man. say
2: in general, if you're lonely, um, you don't have to be. Yeah. And there's ways to not <clears throat> do it. And if anything, Nolan and I are here for you. Don't f- start hating people because you're a lonely person. There you go. There you go. Wow. F- feel good. Yeah, ruined Bo for me. Yeah. Sorry, man. Okay, Beep. so <laughs> if you're a street racer in Japan, you understand what pe- how people perceive street races yes. in Japan, yes, and you don't want people to know that you are a street racer in Japan, right? Because, like we just mentioned, like the street racing, it's seen, it's not cool. It's not, it's not yeah. romantic. Yeah, like, right. The right. general public doesn't see it as like, oh wow, because these guys, like we said, are very successful people. Yeah, um, they have high level positions in brands that are household names in Japan and all over the world. Some of these guys have companies that are worth billions of dollars. So in a society that is set on following rules, it would sink anyone's career. If it was publicly known that they were associated with a criminal organization, it would go from being respected by the population to being viewed as an outlaw or a rebel, which again is not cool in that society. Um, yeah, that would, it would ruin their lives. So because of that, privacy is imperative in the group and Mm -hmm. ultimately the most important thing for them, which makes finding information on the team incredibly difficult. Communication with any Western media about the group results in an immediate excommunication from the group.
4: There are members that will talk about their cars, but if anyone brings
2: up Midnight,
4: they're going to shut you down.
2: And even though they remain anonymous, their cars are... Legendary cars such as the ABR Hosoki S130Z or the Yoshida Special Porsche 930 TBK Turbo. The Blackbird. The Blackbird. There's a freaking comic book about this car, a manga. And many other amazing cars. That would put even a modern-day supercar to shame. They would race down the Tokyo highways at blistering speeds over 200 miles per hour for five to eight minutes at a time. That's so impressive. That's so long. And that's so much ground you're yeah. covering. <laughs> yeah. and they would do this multiple times a night, Some, sometimes with as little as 10-minute intervals between runs, all without breakdowns or overheating. Yeah, because they're testing.
4: They're, they're testing, not racing. They're not racing. They're, they're testing. testing
2: the parts of the cars.
4: That's, And, I mean... What you just read that sound that i mean that's testing that's what that's it is. testing yeah that's what you do
2: and we're gonna get into the cars and the driving next week in part two of the midnight club series uh we'll be taking a deep look at some of these awesome awesome cars involved in the club and some of the amazing thing that these tuners were able to accomplish and as we stated in the beginning, the Wikipedia article that is used as a primary and only source in most articles was intentionally misleading to protect the identity of most of those involved. While some, are, while some information that we have may conflict with what information is generally shared, we can assure you mm-hmm. it's probably accurate. Yeah, we
4: Look, we here, James and I, everyone else at Donut Media, uh, we respect Team Midnight's, Desire to remain anonymous, and we'll be doing our best to uphold these expectations of privacy. Uh, I'm I'm very proud mm-hmm. to be one of the only uh, English-speaking places with accurate,
2: potentially accurate, <laughs> yeah, with potentially accurate on this club. information. Club, um, yeah, and tune in next yeah, week for next week. what we think is a message from the Midnight Club.
4: Yeah. All
2: right. I'm Nolan Sykes. Follow me on Instagram at Nolan J
4: Sykes. Follow James
2: at James Pumphrey. And follow follow Donut. Donut on everything. Yep. At Donut Media. It's thanks. a it's a movement.
4: Thanks for thanks for listening. Love you. Love you. Hey, if you like listening to pod, if you like listening, to
2: hey, podcasts. if you like listening to podcasts, that's this one. Go down to the box and tell us tells us so. Uh, <laughs> hey, we're pretty new to this podcast thing And uh, it really helps us out if you give us Five star reviews, hopefully, five star reviews, you like hopefully. This. If you give us a review uh, we'll You might have a chance of hearing it on air yeah. We aren't reading any right now Because <laughs> as of the recording of this None of the episodes have gone live yet But we'll, we'll do it in the future As soon
4: as we get some reviews, we'll read them Here's like an
2: example one I was listening to this podcast And I literally had to pull over because I was weeping. Nolan's voice is like velvet Whoa. and edible and tasted like my mom's Thanksgiving. <laughs> Two stars. <laughs> Two stars. <laughs> yeah, something like that. Yeah. Alright. Thank you. Love you. Love, Love you. So Bye.
1: You can host the best backyard barbecue. When you find a professional on Angie to make your backyard the best around.
3: people that can help you for a big project or a small, well, whether it's an everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is answer that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process.